0: Please turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. I hope you like the word because we got a lot of it this morning. We're going to be closing out 1 Corinthians, so we're going to be covering chapters 15 and 16. Paul has come to, it's almost like a, um, a movement, an orchestral movement of sorts, if you will. And he was talking about the spirituals which we often hear as the spiritual gifts, which we've already covered. And then he comes to this last and final hurrah, if you will, the the best part of it all. And that is the resurrection. Uh, A lot of people have a difficult time with resurrection. The church in Corinth was no different. As we've talked about before, they were a very rich church. Church, port city and a lot of travel through there and a lot of stuff that they brought in from the world into the church and paul has been he got a couple letters saying hey there's some problems in the church and he tried to correct some of those issues then he finally comes down to explaining why we believe in jesus christ what's the end result of believing in jesus christ now i'm not going to ask for a show of hands But I'm going to ask the question, just don't put your hands up. How many people know for absolutely 100% that when they die, they're going to go to heaven? A lot of people. There's a lot of people who believe that. But you know what? If we did the show of hands, you probably might find some that go, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think I've been good enough. I think there's enough chips in the good jar that it outweighs the chips in the bad jar and, you know, hopefully I'll make it. And some of you were trained that way. Some of you went to to churches where it was an issue of being good enough to be able to get into heaven. The beautiful part about Christianity is none of us are good. Scripture says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that puts us all on an equal playing field, right? Right? eternity is there for all of us John three sixteen, right for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you guys could finish that so he gave it to the world he gave Jesus to the world he gave that salvation to the world but not everybody will believe it it's a stretch for some people they can't make or they won't make because in order to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord, your Lord and Savior you have to give up You have to give up. But what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, you have to give up control of your life. And for some of us, that's tough. If you're a type A person, that just freaks you out, right? You like being in control? You like planning your vacations three years in advance? You like to know, you know, when you... And I won't mention any names, but I got a good friend that washes his car before he goes on vacation. So that when he comes back, he can wash it again. And make sure that everything is clean and in and, and its place. But I don't want to mention his name, Lance. So, I... <laughs> But if you're that type of an individual, that, that step of faith, that leap of faith, if you will, for some fe- people, it's very, very difficult to die to themselves and say, You know what? I haven't done such a great job of running my life anyway. I'm going to let God run my life. But that doesn't mean just giving it to him part time. It just doesn't mean just giving it to him on Sunday or Wednesday and then backing off. You gotta you, get, you live it. That's what being truly born again means: is that you actually believe this. That it becomes your your worldview is based on this, not what's on the latest TikTok or the latest whatever social media is out there. It's through and through. It's who you are in the dark. It's who you are when things are good. It's who you are when things are bad. So, he is dealing with the resurrection, the ultimate triumph of this world. You see, that's the promise for those of us that have Jesus Christ in our hearts. We don't die, we just pass through. We change locations, we change addresses. We move from this state to the next state. That's a confidence that you and I have. And knowing that, it gives you confidence to live this life instead of being so afraid of absolutely everything. I tell our folks a lot of time, the absolute worst that can happen to you is that you die. And that's the absolute best thing that can happen to you. Because we get to be in the presence of the Lord forever. Forever. All right, I want to read something to you out of Revelation 21. We do have quite a few scriptures this morning. So, Revelation 21, verses 3, 4, and 5. He said, And I heard with a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle, the living, the house, the home, the residence. The tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for the former things have passed away. That he who sat on the throne said, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. How many things in this life do you know are true and faithful? 100%. All the time. Doesn't change with the mood, doesn't change with the time, doesn't change with the latest bill that's been passed or not been passed. God. It only exists in the Lord. It only exists in this. Those of you that know what I'm talking about, you have this sweet, sweet relationship with god to know that you're not perfect and that's why you need a savior but you love the savior because he's given his life for your sins and you were presented at some point in time a chance to trade in your old life for a brand new one and you took the bargain it always amazes me but then i guess i guess i understand that when you tell people all of their sins can be forgiven pushed away as though they never happened They can be pushed away and you can have a brand new life in Christ. A chance to start over. It always blows me away when we would choose to continue in that life. We have a chance to cash it all in. So for the Christian, death is only a beginning. Graduation day from this life. And let's face it, as good as this life might get sometimes, it's still filled with a lot of pain and suffering. And limitations, if you will. So Paul turns to this great crescendo. Our resurrection. Jesus Christ's resurrection. So as we go in, remember the church in Corinth. They they have have three types of uh, uh, viewpoints, if you will, on the resurrection. You may or may not want to write these down. You might not remember after lunch. But anyway, here it is. Epicureanism. That was one of them. And basically it was, they believed in pure materialism. No existence beyond the grave. In other words, the way most of the world lives today, just do it, go for it, get everything you can possibly get, because when you die, it's done. That was one of their their, uh, belief systems, if you will. They had Stoicism, which believed that death, the soul was merged with deity So when you die, you become a god or part of the god thing. And there was complete and total loss of all personality. So that's the second one. And the third one was a Platonism, P-L-A-T-O-N-I-S-M, which insisted upon immortality of the soul, but completely denied the idea of a bodily resurrection. Now, if you've ever faced any of those three, if you've ever had questions about any of those three, please listen to what Paul is going to say, because I don't see how you can come away from this not picking a side, and hopefully the right side. Father, may you have your hand upon us this morning. May you teach us according to your heart. May you teach us according to our individual bents in life, if you will. Lord, may we be able to lay aside preconceived ideas, tear down the walls, let you, let you lob a few things over our wall that maybe we've built up through the years, and teach us, Father, who you really are. Teach us that this life is only temporary, and that we've got an eternity to look forward to. Thank you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's take a look at the facts. Look at verses 1 through 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received, and in which you stand. So that's quite a few of you that raised your hand, or thought about raising your hand, about believing in Jesus. He says, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, Unless you believed in vain. In other words, if you put your trust in Jesus and it wasn't true, you would have believed in vain. So that's not the case. And in verse 3 he says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. It's pretty hard to give back what you don't have, right? If we're trying to minister to somebody, if we have nothing to give them, we can't give anything back. That's why a personal devotional time is a good, it's good for us. Because we're putting things in, and when somebody needs our help, we're able to give those back. If we're not putting it in, it's pretty hard to give anything back. He says, "...for which I delivered to you first of all, and which also I received." And here it is, "...that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." That's what it says, Jesus Christ died for our sins, all right? "...and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." Again, the only thing that can be trusted. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by another five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, the present day of Paul's time. But some have fallen asleep, another term for passing on. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also. Paul says, I'm a, I'm a personal witness. I witnessed him too. As by one born out of time. Because you remember the whole thing. They had the apostles all picked out. And, and, uh, and Paul comes along later, and you already ever hear of Matthias anymore, Matthias anymore. Uh, but you, Paul, you know, he got struck by that shining light on the road to Damascus, and uh, Paul didn't even know who it was. He was on a mission from God, right? Because he was going around persecuting Christians because he thought they were a detriment to uh, the society that everybody knew. So he's going around persecuting them, bringing them into prison, making sure some of them even died. So this wasn't his plan. God struck him uh, with a bright light and he fell off of his, whatever he was on, donkey or I don't know. Maybe it was a Tesla, I don't know. But no, it wasn't a Tesla. It was probably a donkey. And anyway... He goes, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Remember Paul's reply? Who are, you? who are you? I wonder how many of us today, if Jesus came in and visited, sat down in a chair, we would go, who are you? Would we see him? Would we know him? Would, we, would, our, would our spirit testify who this man was? Paul thought he was a godly man. Paul thought, I mean, he'd studied in all the rabbinic laws. He knew it. He, he knew what to do. He knew who he was. Spent a lifetime studying for it. So he was out to try to help that. He thought he was doing God a favor, but when God introduced himself to him, he didn't even know who he was. He said, I'm the one that you're persecuting. That's kind of a revelation, isn't it? If you're born again, you've had that encounter. Maybe not exactly the same way, but there was a time when you had to face Jesus Christ and either believe he was who he was or he was some kind of clown or some kind of a, a... brain dead guy that thought he was God it, it's either one or the other there's no, there's no real place in between we can't just put him on a shelf and say well I'll deal with that later we have to deal with who Jesus said that he was so he says he says uh, one born out of time and in verse 9 he says for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, we preached and you believed. We preached and you believed. Now if Christ is preached that has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection Of the dead. That's what he was dealing with. Some of them in the church were saying. There's no no resurrection from the dead. And I believe that if you talk to a lot of Christians. They probably would say. They're not sure about this. They might respond. Well I sure hope so. Or I believe so. But if you ask them. If they really really believe. That because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That we will also. Rise from the dead. That's kind of where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? That's the last, last breath that you take in the hospital when they say you only have a certain amount of time. You're in there, you're on all the, all the machines, and, and you're facing it. You're facing it. Do you know that you know that you know that you know that this is not the end? Okay, so he realizes some of them are not saved, and he states the facts as... The gospel as it is in the scriptures. If you take any part of it away, you have no gospel. It's important that you and I understand this. This was not given to us to, you know, take out your Ronco pen and mark the promises that you want and, uh, you know, cross out the ones that you don't want. That's, you can't do that. It's not our right, it's not our privilege. We didn't go to the cross. We didn't give our son for the salvation of mankind. We can't change this word. And yet many, many churches today want to change it. Because there's things that don't fit into our culture now. People don't like truth if it hurts. And the gospel is meant to hurt a little bit. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Pastor? Have any of you ever disciplined your children? Yes. Did it hurt them? Well, if it didn't, you didn't really do any good. Now, I'm not saying abuse. That's not what I'm saying. But the reason that you discipline is to train, to teach. The Word of God is going to hurt sometimes. It's going to say something we don't like. It's going to tell us, and maybe not in this many words, but it's going to say, hey, you're being a jerk. You need to change. We can either listen or we just toss it out. We don't like that. We don't like to hear that. So a lot of times we just ignore it. Scripture tells us that Jesus' death was not for his sins. They were for mine. And they were for yours. Even Luke 12, Luke 23, verse 4 says, So Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. Brought before the courts, they couldn't find any fault in him. So it wasn't for his sins that he died. It was for mine. It was for yours. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you really get down to it, right? You're in that, you're in that quiet place with the Lord. That's got to blow you away. That's got to humble you and almost bring you to tears. We have people in life that love us, but how many people would actually die for us? Maybe a family member. Might be. But how many of us would die for Uncle Buck, who is a fallen down drunk and insulted the family over and over and over again and stolen from everybody in the family? Who would die for him? that's who we were, we were the Uncle Bucks of life we were the ones that had missed the mark we were the ones that had sinned, we were the ones that ignored God we were the ones that rebelled against God and yet he, with mercy, because of his mercy he died for our sins so you and I could start new we could have a fresh life we could start over again with the Lord 2 Corinthians 5:21 it says for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that why so that we might become the righteousness of God in him I want to want to read that again there's a lot in that small amount of scripture for he made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he took our sin upon him. Anything that you've ever done, he took it upon himself. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he was able to say, It is finished. It is finished. So he says, According to the scriptures, well, what scriptures? Let's take a look at a few of the Old Testament scriptures in Isaiah 55 verses 5 and 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, if any of you guys are ranchers or if you've ever been around sheep, you know that they're pretty dirty or can be pretty dirty and they can be really, really dumb. They're not the brightest animal around. They will let a little 75-pound dog tell them what to do. There may be a hundred sheep in the field, two hundred sheep in the field, and this little dog will go after them and he'll herd them in to a narrow gate, right, and bring them in where they need to be. They will get so focused on grazing where they're at, they would walk off a cliff. But doesn't that sound like a lot of folks today? People are so focused on the wrong things That they're about ready to walk off a cliff. You get so caught up in your thing or your idea. It says that we've all gone astray. There's none righteous, not one. Not without Jesus Christ. But he made us righteous through Jesus Christ. When the devil goes and, and says, you know, look what he's done. When he accuses the brethren... I'm firmly convinced Jesus says, Dad, that one's mine. Dad, that one's mine. Dad, that one's mine. Dad, that one's mine. Okay, then. The ledger's clear. Galatians 3.6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for Righteousness. Jonah in the belly of the whale, resurrected after three days and three nights, Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. People go, well, I can't believe that. I can't believe that he swallowed by a a whale. And you can't believe, I mean, there's people still believe a man can get pregnant. I, you know, if you if you can believe that and can't believe this, I don't I don't understand. If you can if you don't know who a male is and who a female is, and you can't you can't tell the difference between the two, they'll believe that but they won't believe this. And there's a lot more. There's a lot of other lies out there that people are willingly accepting because it's the worldview. But when God says something like this, you know how big a whale is. Huge. You ever just seen a picture of a whale's heart? They're huge. Well, okay, then he says, it was seen by the apostles, right? Peter, James, and the 12. In Mark 16, verses 6 through 7, he says, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not risen. He is uh, risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell the disciples, and Peter... (laughs) <laughs> that he is going before you into the, to the Gentiles, there you will see him as he said to you there 's so much evidence, and I love how this is the gospel. I mean, you could take this chapter and part of the next one, and that that 's the Bible. this is the whole plan of salvation, if you will. Five hundred people gathered as the news began to spread of the resurrection. By the way, Peter, you remember what happened to him, right? He had kind of misstepped, kind of fallen away, if you will. Denied the Lord three times. Beaten himself up. But it's kind of cool, he addresses Peter separately. He says, you know, when you, when you see Peter, make sure he knows. Basically what he's telling him is that he's, he's okay and that I love him. He's making sure that he includes him. We are going to make mistakes. There's not a perfect per- person that I've ever met. Jesus is the only perfect individual I have ever met in my life. We are going to make mistakes. But that's where God kicks in grace. And that's where he kicks in mercy. But not everybody will believe in him. James, his own half-brother, didn't believe in him, believe in him until he witnessed the resurrection. And then he put his faith in him. Paul, there again, no matter what was written, even though the the, uh, Messiah was prophesied years ago and all of the religious caste at the time was supposed to be preparing the way for the Messiah, they drove people away from God. A lot of Christians do the same thing today and I, I, I don't know whether to capitalize the C on Christians or not. But there's a lot of folks that if they see how Christians act and react to so many, many things, they don't want any part of it. I don't know about any of you guys, but when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was looking to change. I wanted to change. I wanted answers to things. And if I saw somebody that was a Christian, he was doing the same thing I was doing, I, I just blew it off. If he was smoking dope, if he was sleeping around, if he was getting drunk, I I grew up that way. I grew up in that family. I didn't want any of that. So it was like, if that's what God has to offer, if that's all that God can do for you, I'm not interested in it. Paul got persecuted for everything he used to fight for and against <laughs> he used to fight Christians tooth and nail and then all of a sudden he gets saved Jesus changed him what changes a man who spent his entire life in studies to be the best Pharisee that he could possibly be and he said he was at the top he says you know I studied in the best schools I know what I'm talking about I was the Pharisee of Pharisees what changed in that man's life to cause him to want to drop all of that and just pursue Jesus Christ and tell people about Jesus Christ? That doesn't happen by just, you know, I, I think it's, it's the New Year's. I'm going to be a better person, you know. 2023, I'm going to be a better person. Probably not without Jesus. Probably not without Jesus. By the way, he mentions the word grace. Grace. Three times in verse 10. So Paul's basically saying, guys, I'm proof of the resurrection. I was dead in my sins and boom, God interrupted my life. And I gave my heart to him. And it changed his life. Okay, let's look at verses 13. We'll start with 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, guys, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Jesus Christ, whom he did not raise up if if there was no resurrection, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ did not rise, and if Christ did not rise, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. I'm going to stop there for a moment and say this. How many of us are still in our sins? Now please understand what I'm saying. We will always, until we get to be with Jesus, there will be sin in our life. But there's a difference between messing up once in a while and practicing sin. So how many of us are still deadlocked in those sins? That's because you have no power to really change that other than Jesus Christ. You can make all the New Year's resolutions that you want and you will find yourself at some point in time breaking that. I have many times showed our folks, you know, you put a rubber band and you put a pin and a rubber band here and a pin and a rubber band here. You can take that and you can stretch that all around, right? But what happens if you let go? It goes right back to where it was. So many people think that we can do it without Jesus, without fellowship. It's extremely, extremely hard to, to hang on to everything if we isolate so, all right. verse 19 well let me go back to 18 then also those who have fallen asleep which have died in Christ have perished if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men the most pitiable in other words if Jesus only died for us while we're alive here and there's no life after death we're to be pitied because we're believing a lie that's what he's saying but now Christ is risen from the dead, and he's become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Right? And for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Guys, don't you want to live forever? Not in these forms. <laughs> we don't want that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it'd be like if we could live to two hundred or three hundred but the body just kept on falling apart? It'd be you talk about horror stories, you know. That would be that would be living zombies right there. That'd be real 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 life. Arm falling off. Yeah. Only, it was only guaranteed for a little while, so it's So, Adam, through Adam, man died. But through Jesus Christ, we have life. He was the first fruits of that. Verse 24, then comes the end. Let's go back up to 23. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that those who are Christ that he's coming. Then comes the end and he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. And then he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. I am so looking forward to that. I don't know about you guys. You know power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. We see that over and over and over again. Men in our, in our natural form can't be trusted. We can't can't be trusted, because money will come into the picture, uh, the opposite sex will come into the picture, all of those things, and even a good man will find himself tempted by those things. It's only Christ who gives us the ability to stand against that. Okay, so, he says, all authority will be placed at his father's feet, the enemy will be placed under his feet. In verse 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, guys. We get to be with Jesus for eternity. You'll never face another person that you love passing. They're there. That's why it's so important that we don't lose sight of the fact of what our mission is here on this planet. And that's to tell people about Jesus. It's not to amass riches, it's not to amass houses. Is not to amass, uh, to amass uh, popularity. It's, it's not about any of those things. We're here for one reason. And that's to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. And to give people an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So that last enemy will be destroyed, which is death. And then verse 27, he's put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. The Father. He's talking about the Father who put everything under Jesus' feet. He's still in the picture. He's not gone anywhere. All right. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son of Man will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? Now, please don't understand. Please don't mistake this. I'm going to explain this in a minute. Don't mistake this as saying that that's a good practice. It was a practice and people were doing it, but he's making a point. If there's no resurrection, what are you doing? Why are you praying for the dead? not going to make any sense. Okay. Okay. Then he says in verse 30, And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. But isn't that the job of a Christian? I mean, honestly, let's think about it. Christianity, because it has profited and been prosperous in America for such a long time, we have a tendency to think that success as a Christian is naming it and claiming it and having wealth and prosperity. And that's how you tell if the church is really prosperous is if there's a lot of Mercedes in the drive, you know, in the, in the parking lot. That's how you tell. And then the pastor's got to wear, you know, $2,000 suits and he's got to have the best car and the whole thing. That, that's a way a lot of it is interpreted as that's a successful church. No, it's not. You can have churches of thousands and thousands and miss the core of their faith. They can miss putting Jesus Christ as the main thing. I've heard several times throughout my life, and Pastor Dan's even heard it a few times in his life, and that is you have people will say, well, at Calvary Chapels, it's the same thing. It's always teaching the Word of God, and and that it's always just the same thing. So, well, what do you want? We could hire a couple of clowns. (laughs) We already got those. (laughs) You know, we could put some fake gold dust in, in maybe the speaker cabinets up there and make sure that it can get through if we turn on fans behind it. We can do a show and get down front and make people slain in the spirit and have catchers and the whole thing. Pastor Chuck used to say, if you want to draw a crowd, just bring the circus to town. You'll get a crowd. But the only problem is, next week you have to have a bigger circus. And a bigger circus. And a bigger circus. Guys, if he's the same yesterday and today and forever, and this is his word What are we going to do? Are we going to change it so that... Are we going to put lights? What are we going to do? Are we going to assume that this is not enough? That we've got to help God out with some theatrics to make sure that this is good enough for people, that people are excited enough about it? But if that's the case, then they're coming for the wrong reason. And so it it may grow, but... In the process of all the lights, they might miss Jesus. And that's the most important thing. Well, yeah, but you're going to limit your growth. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having 10 people who love Jesus and want to study his word? What's wrong with having 20? What's wrong with having 30? What's wrong with having 50 or 100? Or what's wrong with 5,000 if they love Jesus? If that's the main thing that's going on. But it's not a substitute. We can't substitute what is truth for a show. So, he goes on to say in 30, 32, he says, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if, I, if the dead do not rise? Let us eat drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the world's philosophy today, right? Let's eat, drink, and be buried except for now it's like we're going to take away your food, we're going to take away your drink, we're going to raise your gas prices, so you're not going to be Mary. Well, our Mary is not in the food and the drink, and it's not our government that we, take our, we get our joy from. We get our joy from Jesus Christ. That's what we have to have our faith and our trust in. God can take care of his people and the worst that could happen is we go home to be with him. That's the worst that could absolutely happen. What would be worse than that is to deny our faith to excuse me, deny our faith to feed our belly. That, that's what would be worse. That would be much worse. So, he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Who are you hanging out with? Who are your friends? Who's your social group? that can mess you up. Every parent hates when his kids go back to school because of who they might become friends with. They love having them home for the summer because it's family time. You get to do things as a family. At least we used to feel that way and every time school would start up again, we were going, oh boy. Lots of time on your knees saying, God, give them some Christian friends, Lord, give them some Christian teachers, Lord, you know, protect them, try to keep them safe, and there's so much stuff out there. And you guys that have little ones now that are in grade school and high school, it's worse. It's worse. With the fentanyl that's coming across the borders and the things that, you know, gosh, if you're a young person living in that world, boy, we'll we'll pray for you, because that's, That's a tough world. It was tough back when I went to school. It's got to be 50 times harder for these guys now. So he says, awake to righteousness. Do not sin for some. Do not have the knowledge of God. Guys, please listen to this. I know that that I've gone a little long here. But I want to say this. Please listen to this last part. He says, awake to righteousness. What does that mean? Well, I've been a Christian for years and years. I'm awake to righteousness. But are we? Or have we gone to sleep? What does that mean? He tells us. He says, Don't sin to the best of your ability. For some do not have the knowledge of God. What does that mean? It means your neighbor's going to hell and you've not told him about Jesus. The person across the street is going to die without Jesus Christ, no resurrection, and well, an eternity separate from God. And we need to tell them. There needs to be a few more random acts of kindness where you pay for somebody's food that's behind you or, you know, there, there needs to be that witness, that constant witness to tell people that God loves them. There's so many distractions now that even Christians kind of get to a point where they just hold up. They just hold up. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, let's circle the wagons. Let's make sure our family's inside the wagons, Right? Let's make sure we circle the wagons. We have families inside the, you know, that circle. But everybody else, they're on their own. It's not time for that yet, guys. I'm not saying abandoning our families. We have to be, we should be protecting our families. That's a noble thing. It's a right thing. But how about people that don't know Jesus? Have we, let's not forget that. That's what Paul's saying. He says, wake up to righteousness. There's people out there that do not know that there's hope. They do not know that they can be forgiven. But if there's going to be any hope, there has to be a resurrection. That's what he's trying to say. Has your heart been resurrected? You can't just think that Jesus is a real person. You can't almost believe in him. You can't think it's a good idea it's either you're you're either in or you're or you're not. There's no there's not a place in between. It's not I'll I'll pick what's behind door number three. It's like it's only one door. And Jesus says, I'm the way to eternal life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. It's just Him. In Corinth they were Like most people today, they were picking and choosing what they wanted to believe and what they didn't want to believe. He says, you can't do that. You either got to believe in the resurrection or you don't believe in the resurrection. And if you don't believe in his resurrection, then that means you're going to die. If there is no resurrection, we're to be pitied. But this is tongue-in-cheek. Paul knows there is a resurrection. That's why he's trying to tell everybody that that's the case. Paul assures them in verse 20. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead. Guys, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he has risen from the dead? Are you born again? Even that that phrase got old. Have you noticed as a Christian? Being born again? They don't use it anymore. There's probably some new phrase for it. But it's all the same thing. Nicodemus, in John 3, 1 through 6, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is going, okay, how do you become born again, right? He's thinking physically. He's thinking materially. So how can that happen? You're born one time. How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must have that second birth. You had no choice in the first one. You had no choice in the first one. You ever say when you were a kid, well, it's not my fault, I didn't ask to be born. Some kids, some kids will throw that up at you. Say, yeah, we brought you in, we take you out. Yeah. But here's the thing. That first one you had no choice in, right? You had no choice in it. That was Somebody else decided whether you would be born or not. But if you're going to live in eternity, that's your choice. Why would you want to live in eternity of Christ if you don't believe in Him, if you don't think He's a good God? Why would God make you go to a place that you don't want to be in? Got to make a choice. That's why most churches at the end of the service will give everybody an opportunity to give their heart to Jesus. You lead people to the gold, and then you tell them, oh, I'm sorry, you can't have any. That second birth... That's called being born again. And I pray that you've made that choice. That you've said, I don't care what the world says. I don't care what their morals are. I don't care what any of that is. I want to be pleasing to God. I want to know God intimately. I want Him in my heart. I want to live with Him. And I want to make sure when it's all said and done that I get to live with Him for eternity. I want to be in that place. Well, in that first circle, I am God. Right? You look at the world. Those who had no choice, they were born of the flesh. Mother gave birth to them. Mother gave birth to them, just in case you're wondering. They had no choice in that. You had no choice. In that first circle, you're God. You're God. I make my choices. I do what I'm going to do. I am educated. I am this. I am that. I'm a star. I am God. In the second one, you lay all that down. That can't exist in the new one. You have to lay all that down and say, I'm nothing. Now, God died for me, so that makes me something. But he had to die for me because of my sins. Puts us all on an even playing field. And it puts eternity in all of our grasp. Okay, guys. Well, you know what? We're running out of time. But he basically says at the end of this, and then then comes the end. Now, I will read you one. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so that, when, so that this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass this saying that says death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? And Hades, where is your victory?